Hello, and welcome to Victory Briefings, where we use the Word of God for a victorious life. I'm Dwight Hammond, and I'm glad you're listening today. Be blessed by the Holy Spirit as He gives you new revelation knowledge through the Word of God. You're going to want to get a pen and a paper and uh, get ready to take some notes. Get your Bible out and turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to cover uh, the second half of this chapter. Jesus has removed the barrier. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. In the first half of this chapter, Paul has been telling us what God has done for sinners in general. Now it's about Jews and Gentiles in particular. God has made no messianic covenants with the Gentiles, but God had promised the Jews a kingdom. Chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul refers to the previous ten verses here. Therefore, now that we know our new position in Christ, we must never forget where we came from and what we were like before God saved us and changed us. If we do, then we can begin thinking our goodness comes from us. But it is God who begins and completes the change in us. We must not allow our newfound knowledge or faith to become a basis for prejudice. Called uncircumcision is a racial slur that goes way back. David called Goliath an uncircumcised Philistine. As today, a white man might use the N-word when talking about a black man. The prejudice and name-calling of the Jews actually amplified the barrier of separation between God and the Gentiles. Real circumcision is of the heart. It's spiritual, not physical, according to Galatians 5.6. A true sign of covenant with God is to be cut off from the world with a renewed mind. In Christ, we put an end to the name-calling, realizing that we are all of his body. Verse 12 tells us that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 12 is Paul's list of five things that Gentiles lacked by being separated, spiritually dead to God. The first one is without Christ. They had no anointing, separated from Messiah, no title to blessings which were to proceed from him. Number two is aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They were alienated, unwelcome, foreigners, estranged, no right of citizenship in the Messiah's kingdom. Number three, strangers from the covenants of promise. These covenants of promise point to the Messiah and the blessings through him, a national existence, a land, a king, and spiritual blessings. The four covenants that this would include 
is the Abrahamic covenant, Palestinian covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. The scripture references for all these covenants are in my notes if you're studying uh, covenants. This would be a good starting point. The fourth thing in Paul's list is having no hope. The Gentiles had no hope, no source of comfort or hope beyond this life. When you are in the world, you have no hope. But when you're in Christ Jesus, you have the blessed hope, the hope of his return and eternal life. Amen. And the fifth thing in Paul's list is without God in the world, it says there in verse 12. Dumb idols make no promises. Having no knowledge of Jehovah God, pagans had no true object of worship. The Gentiles were without Christ. That is, they had no promise of the Messiah. They were not a part of the nation Israel. In fact, the Old Testament laws put a great gulf or distance between the Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles were no more than strangers and pilgrims. In fact, the Old Testament called them sojourners. To a Jew, they were aliens without hope and without the true God in, their, in the world, lost as a ball in the tall weeds. Verse 13 tells us, But now, ah, that's awesome, But now, in Christ Jesus, you were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. But now, in verse 13, parallels, but God, back in verse 4. These are glorious, pivotal words where separation and death turn to life and unity in the body of Christ. When Christ died on the cross, he brought us from hopelessness to joy. Jesus broke down every barrier that stood between man and God and between Jew and Gentile. Here, in verse 13, Gentiles are regarded as far off, while the problem of sinners in general, in the first half of this chapter, was spiritual death. Problems of the Gentiles in particular was spiritual distance from God and his blessings. I find it, lately, I find it interesting, studying the Gospels, that whenever Jesus helped a Gentile, he did it at a distance. He's healing the people at a distance, in other words. Kind of interesting. The blood of Jesus has brought me near to the Father. I was spiritually dead, separated from God. I was totally out of fellowship with him. Jesus came and removed the barrier between God and me. All the glory goes to Jesus who executed the plan and to God the Father who originated the plan. And I can receive no glory at all for becoming a Christian. He did it all. Verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Jesus is called our peace. This is a reference to the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus has made us reconciled to God. This peace destroys the separation and strife. Peace means to be united with, as well as to bring an end to hostility. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Hang on now, I want you to get this. We're going on, to, going on a little trail here, but I promise you it will be in line with our study today. 2 Corinthians 5.17 
Paul told the Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. In other words, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, old things that have passed away are not wild women, cigarettes, and booze. It's about the things listed in verse 12 of our second chapter of Ephesians. For our old position, before we were born again, we had no life because we were in Satan's kingdom and spiritually dead. Now, after the new birth, all things are new. We now have spiritual life. We have a new position in Christ, seated with him in heavenly places. We once were in the kingdom of darkness. Now we are in the kingdom of light. We once were in Adam. Now we are in Christ. We should live our lives as unto God, and bad habits should be gone. But it should be because we are in Christ in the family of God. We should desire to walk as children of light. We don't give up bad habits to become saved. We become saved, and now we have the authority to eliminate the hindrances of the devil. Once we are born again, we have something to fill the void in our lives and satisfy those cravings and desires that we have. Now we have the Word of God to feed our inner man, and we can fellowship with the Father through prayer and personal time and praise and worship with Him. There's good news. The thing that caused spiritual death is gone. Um, 2 Corinthians 5:18 and 19. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He has not only reconciled us to himself, he already has reconciled the whole world to himself. The barrier between God and man has been removed. You see, there used to be a barrier called sin, but it's no longer issue between God and man. There's no sin separating the sinner from God anymore. Jesus was here on the earth, not imputing the trespasses of men to them. Jesus went to the cross and was judged for the sins of the world once and for all. Sins were judged on the cross. Jesus not only judged the acts and deeds of men, he condemned the very nature of sin in the flesh. John the Baptist said of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. In John chapter 1, verse 29, If Jesus removed the sin of the world on the cross, then sin could not be the reason why men don't go to heaven. The issue in salvation is no longer sin, but Jesus. The question is not, what are you going to do about your sin? The question is, what are you going to do about Jesus? God made his move at the cross, and the next move is up to us. If the issue is still sin, then the issue is still too big for man to deal with. Man cannot do anything with his sin. If the issue is still sin, why did Jesus come and die? What good was the cross? Since the issue is whether to accept Jesus or not, man can deal with that. Even at the great white throne judgment, the issue will not be sin, but whether or not a person 
has accepted Jesus, Revelation 20:15 tells us, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. John 3:36 tells us, he that believes on the Son has everlasting life, and he that believes not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Even though God has brought peace to the whole world, it is no good unless individuals accept it. In Ephesians 2.14, He is our peace. Peace has been provided for the whole world, but it is only made a reality through the new birth. It is one thing for Jesus to be the Prince of Peace, but it's another thing for Him to be my Prince of Peace. True peace is for the believer only. To the unbeliever, peace is only a potential. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 1. Peace, like grace, can be multiplied as we learn more of God's word. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, 2. Peace is for and increased only to the believer. You might ask, but what about Luke 2.14? Didn't the angels announce, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men at Jesus' birth? No, they didn't. If you look at other translations, you'll find the King James Version is mistranslated there. The angels actually said, on earth, peace among people with whom he is pleased. You need to look at the New American Standard Bible and the New International Version and several others. This is preached every Christmas time. Peace, goodwill toward men. And it and they preach it to say, we should all be at peace. God is pleased with those who accept his son. He gives peace only to those who are born again. Peace is the message he has given us to proclaim. Just as Jesus came and preached peace, so we, as ambassadors, have been given his message to give the word of reconciliation. Our feet are declared to be beautiful because we bring glad tidings of peace. Isaiah 52, 7. Our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Ephesians 6, 15. We are called peacemakers because we introduce others to the promise of right standing with God the Father, Matthew 5, 9. Back to Ephesians 2, 14. 2.14 tells us he has made both one. All races are now one in Christ. The middle wall of partition is a barrier between God and man and also between the races of the earth. This barrier has been removed by one act of reconciliation, Jesus' death on the cross. True equality among races only exists in the body of Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can remove the prejudice that the devil has sown in the heart. It cannot be legislated away or removed by man's will or desire, but only by the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Now, Ephesians 2.15, I want to switch over to the NIV. Ephesians 2.15 and 16 in the NIV says, By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, 
His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in the one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Setting aside in his flesh is talking about his death. What did the death of Jesus do to get rid of the enmity, hostility, and barrier, this animosity between the Jew and the Gentile, the people of God? Jesus broke down the wall the hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Now this surprised me at first. How can Paul preach that Jesus abolished the law when Jesus himself said that he had not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it in Matthew 5.17? Well, that's the Sermon on the Mount, and in the Sermon on the Mount he was referring to the moral law, He was teaching the difference between righteousness of the Pharisees and Christian righteousness, advocating that Christian righteousness involves deep and radical obedience to the law. Paul's primary reference in Ephesians seems to be the ceremonial part of the law with its commands and regulations, like it says here. That is, circumcision, material sacrifices, dietary regulations, and the rules about ritual cleanliness and uncleanness that governed social relationships. They erected a serious barrier between Jews and Gentiles, but Jesus set this whole ceremonial dimension aside, and he did it in his flesh, his physical death, because on the cross he fulfilled all the Old Testament ceremonial observances. Now keep in mind that the mystery of the church was revealed through Paul, as we will see in the next chapter. And it took some time for the Jewish Christians to understand God's new program. When we look back at history, a change in history, we think or tend to think that it happened like a flip of a switch. But things happen gradually and it takes time. This prejudice between the Jews and the Gentiles went on for some time. For centuries, God had kept the Jews and Gentiles separated, and the Jews taught that the only way a Gentile could become a Christian was to first become a Jew. Now the truth was revealed that the cross of Christ condemns both Jews and Gentiles as sinners, but also reconciles to God in one body those who believe on Jesus. Ephesians 2, verse 17, he says, And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Both have access to the Father and the Spirit. Under the Jewish tradition, only the high priest could go into the presence of God, and that was only once a year. But in the new creation, every believer has the privilege of coming into the Holy of Holies. Hebrews 10 19 through 25. Both Jews and Gentiles now belong to the household of God, and a Jew can no longer claim greater privileges. It is through faith in the blood of Jesus that Jews and Gentiles are justified. Verse 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now the word household here literally means members of the family. So we're members of the family of God. And he says apostles and prophets. These are the ones who were inspired to write scripture. These are the founding apostles that the church is being built upon. Look at Acts chapter 2 verse 42. And in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. We will find that Jesus gave gifts uh, the fivefold ministry to the church, and that's understood to be the ongoing uh, mission of the fivefold ministry for the equipping of the saints. Now, saints still need equipped today, so we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, according to Ephesians 4:11. Now, to the secessionists, if we do not need apostles and prophets today, then we shouldn't have evangelists, pastors, and teachers either. And I'm sorry, but the last apostle isn't dead yet. The saints need to be equipped for these last days more than ever. Verse 21 and 22 to finish up. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The metaphor of the body, back in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, being filled by Christ, is complemented by this verse here. Each believer is a living stone set in the temple. 1 Peter 2, verse 4 through 8. The apostles and prophets are not the foundation they laid the foundation since they were the first to proclaim the gospel. Christ is the foundation of the local church, 1 Corinthians 3.11, and the chief cornerstone of the whole building. The church today is a living, growing temple. When it's completed, Jesus will come and take the temple to glory. God dwelt in a Jewish tabernacle in Exodus 40, verse 34. He lived in a Solomon's temple in Second Chronicles 7.1. God lived in Jesus' body in John 1.14. And he dwells today in the individual believer, 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 20. And the church, Ephesians 2.21 and 22. What a privilege to be the very habitation of God through the Spirit. Praise God. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom and freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms and sanctity of life. Patriot Mobile is a U.S.-based company. Tell them I referred you and they will waive your setup fee for each of your phone lines. Just let them know that Dwight Hammond referred you and save money right away. The Victory Briefings podcast is brought to you in part by Patriot Mobile. PatriotMobile.com, 972-PATRIOT. 972-PATRIOT, PatriotMobile.com. I hope you are subscribed and will make it a part of your ministry to share this message with others. God bless you, my friend. This program and other materials are available at VictoryBriefings.net.